So this morning, uh, I'm continuing through my sermon series entitled Strength and Weakness in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was a leader in the early church. He started a church in Corinth, which was part of uh, Greece, ancient Greece, part of the Roman Empire in those days. And after he started the church and built it up, he moved on to start other churches, but he heard of all the crazy things that were going on in Corinth. And so he wrote these letters to the church in Corinth to correct some things, to remind them of the truth of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians in particular, he has to do a lot of defending of himself, unfortunately, against some false teachers who have come in uh, and have tried to damage his reputation and damage their relationship. And so he has to remind the Corinthians again and again of his love and devotion for them. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 6, verse 3, to chapter 7, verse 1. And there's two parts to this chapter or to this section. The first part, he spends time addressing his relationship with the Corinthians. And then the second part, he challenges them on something in particular about the partnerships in their life. And so before we read, why don't we just together turn to God and ask him to prepare us to hear his word. Lord, we pray that you would just clear our minds of distractions, clear our hearts of the things that are vying for attention. And right now, I pray that you would help us to focus on you and on your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would transform us, Lord, to be more like you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do the first section, and then we'll do the second section in a little bit. This is chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. Paul writes this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. So I have to admit, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, this first verse slayed me. It left me in a lot of of tears as I was preparing This first verse where he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. He uses the imagery of a stumbling block, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's something you would put in the path of someone that would cause them to trip and fall. And he says, by my ministry, I don't want to do anything that would put any sort of stumbling block in the path of any of you that would cause you to stumble and fall and would cause you this ministry of mine to be discredited. This ministry, remember from last, from yesterday, um, yesterday, from last week, this ministry of reconciliation, pleading with people to be reconciled, made right with God. So why did this verse cause me to, you know, melt into a puddle of tears? Uh, Let me explain. So first of all, the gospel of Jesus is the most important message you will ever hear for your response to it has eternal consequences, okay? 
this whole thing that we're doing here, every time I get up to speak, I mean, this is the most important message you will ever hear. This message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. This isn't just about living your best life now. This is about your life beyond the grave forever and ever. And your response to it matters. Again, this is what we talked about last week. How much was packed into these five verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How much is packed into that short passage there? Reconciliation, if you're unfamiliar with that word, it's the restoration of a relationship where there's been enmity, where there's been hostility, where there's been hatred and division. And so he says, God, through Jesus Christ, is reconciling the world to himself. It implies that there is a hostility between people and God that in our natural state, we're not right with God. And that there's a need for reconciliation. There's a need for peace. And that God has taken the initiative to make peace by sending his son Jesus, the one who had no sin, to become sin for us. That through his death on the cross, that he offers a way to be made right with God, where he takes the punishment that we deserve for everything we've ever done wrong, and he gives us his righteousness, his perfect record. I gave three words last week. I don't know if anyone remembers the three terms that are all about what the gospel is and what God does for us in Jesus Christ. The first word is justification, which shows up in the 2 Corinthians 5 passage I just read. It's the legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And he declares us to be righteous, not guilty in his sight. This is God as judge declaring you not guilty. That's one of the things that happens when you put your faith in Jesus is that your sins are put on Jesus. His perfect record is given to you. You're declared not guilty. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. But you're perfect in his sight. But that's not all. He's not just a judge declaring you not guilty. He is a father who adopts you as his children. Adoption is the act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. This is the reconciliation that happens, that he brings us to him as his beloved children. So we can come to the God of the universe, not as some far off being in space, not as the king, not as the judge, but as a father who loves us, who sees us as perfect. So we're justified, declared not guilty by God, the judge, and we are adopted, declared to be beloved children of God by God the Father. And then, not only that, but we are also regenerated. Regeneration is the act of God by which he imparts spiritual eternal life to us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That he has taken out the heart of stone that is at war with God and he gives us a heart of flesh, a heart that knows God. He puts his Holy Spirit in us that we might have eternal life, that we might know God, that we might have a sensitivity to him and to the things of him and the things of God in this world, that we might see him and our eyes might be opened in a way that they were not 
before. This message is so important. This is more important than any other message you could ever hear because it's a message that has eternal consequences, that God and Jesus Christ has offered you a way to be right with him. And your eternal destiny depends upon your response to this message, whether or not you believe this message. This is how Jesus put it. John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Consider those words carefully. This is the words of Jesus saying the same thing I am saying here. That this message is the most important message you will ever hear. That your eternal destiny depends upon it. Secondly, not only is the gospel of Jesus the most important message you will ever hear, but the gospel itself can be a stumbling block. This is how Jesus, how, I'm sorry, how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, his previous letter to the church in Corinth. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul is honest here. He says, I am preaching a message that is going to cause some people to just trip and fall and stumble because they're going to think it sounds like foolishness. It's going to sound ridiculous. And it may be 2,000 years later, but Things have not changed. There are going to be people who hear the message of Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world, rising again from the dead, and are going to say, wait, you believe that? You're serious? You, you really believe that? You really believe that someone rose from the dead? You really believe that all you got to do is believe in Jesus and, and, and you're, you're like, you know, you're going to heaven? You believe this? Paul is honest. Listen, it's a stumbling block to people. This message this message that there is, you know, one way to be saved, that Jesus has said, if you haven't believed in Je Jesus himself says, if you reject him, then God's wrath remains on you. That is a stumbling block for some people, right? To say that Jesus is the way to be saved. To say that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself by your own good works, that's a stumbling block. To say that Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, I don't know who you lift up as like the greatest human beings who ever lived, that none of them can stand before God in their own good works and be righteous and be right with God. That all are in need of a savior. There's a stumbling block for you. To declare that there is a God who has declared right and wrong. That you are not your own God and you don't get to say what is right and what is wrong. You don't get to decide what is the right way to live and what's the wrong way to live. But that there is a God who has decided that and that we need to get to know him and his will and submit to it, that's the right way to live, that's a stumbling block. So this is not only the most important message you'll ever hear, but it is also a message that causes many to stumble, that many do think is foolish. The message itself is hard enough. And then thirdly, I love you, and God loves you, and wants you to be saved. Why does this, this, this message, this, this verse about I put no stumbling block in anyone's path, 
Why did it cause me to, you know, dissolve into tears? Why is this so important, this whole idea of not putting a stumbling block in the way of anyone? Because A, it's the most important message you'll ever hear. B, the gospel itself is a hard enough message to grasp and to believe in for sinful rebels like us. And thirdly, because I love you and God loves you and wants you to be saved. I want to see you in heaven. I want to be with you for eternity. I want you to be with God for eternity. It's not just an important message, but you matter to me and you matter to God more than you matter to me. First Timothy 2, 3 through 4, Paul writes, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men and women to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved, which means saved from sin, from the penalty of sin, from eternal separation. That's God's desire. That's my desire. So you put those three things together and you, I hope you can start to understand why as I'm preparing this message, you know, I'm, I'm getting gripped here because I love you so much because I want you to know the gospel. I want you to trust in Jesus. I want you to have eternal life. I know the message itself is hard enough and I don't want to put any more stumbling blocks in front of you. The gospel itself is hard enough. I don't want to add anything to it. I don't want my conduct, my life to be cause for anyone to reject God or to reject a church, the church. I don't want any of the words that I speak to be false words about God that cause someone to turn away from God because they've rejected what I've said and not who God really is. I don't want my lack of love for people, my lack of prayer for people to be the reason that people reject God or reject his church. So Paul says, I put no stumbling block in the way of anyone because I don't want my ministry to be discredited. And I wish I could say the same with confidence, you know, that I have never put any stumbling block in anyone's way that would cause my ministry or this ministry of reconciliation to God to be discredited. I mean, I take seriously this calling and the influence that I have over you and over anyone who hears or anyone who comes to this church. But I know I have not always taken this as seriously as it deserves, as, as it needs to be taken, this, this ministry, this influence. I do take my need for accountability very seriously, that I always need to have at least one or two people who I am regularly sharing my life with, confessing, that, that are holding me accountable. I take that very seriously because I know how deceptive sin is. I know how wicked Satan is. And I know that his desire more than anything else would be to destroy me, to destroy my family, to destroy the leadership of the church, to discredit this ministry. I take my sexual purity and relational integrity very seriously. I've seen too many pastors that have fallen into temptation. And as they fall into temptation, they destroy the work that God has done and is doing in so many ways. It discredits their ministry. It discredits the church. I take my integrity seriously when it comes to dealing with finances, when it, when, I, when it comes to what I post online, when it comes to my relationships with people. It all matters. I do not want to place a stumbling block in anyone's way. The gospel is hard enough. I don't want to add to it. But I know the reality is that God has so many areas in my life that he's still maturing me. 
that I know, I look back on my life and ministry here, and I know that my fears, my sinful tendencies in so many ways have hurt people, have caused stumbling blocks in people's ways. People have left the church because of my lack of love or my poor leadership in different ways. You know, there are websites out there I've seen over the years where, you know, it's typically with larger churches when people leave, sometimes they'll put together like a survivors of this church and people will kind of band together and talk about the ways that they were hurt by the leadership. And I read those soberly because I know that there could be people who have left this church who could do the same. Not because I want to hurt people, but because I'm a sinful human being. And I know that there are people who have been hurt who've left this church hurt by the leadership. And for that, I'm, I, I do weep because I don't want to place a stumbling block in anyone's way. And if you, in any way, resonate with this, even though you're part of this church and you say, yes, you know, there are ways, Eric, that you have been a stumbling block or put stumbling blocks in my way, then please just come and talk to me because I'm, I'm sorry. I confess that to you that I know God is very much still working on my heart and I want to be able to say with Paul that I have placed no stumbling blocks in anyone's way. And I want to encourage all of you, if you have any kind of influence over another human being, you know, as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt and uncle, as an older sibling, as an older believer in the faith, take this verse to heart, please. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry would not be discredited. Before this day ends, get on your knees and cry out for God's mercy that you might not, by your conduct, by your words, put a stumbling block in anyone's way who looks up to you, who's influenced by you. But that by your life, you might point to Jesus Ask for his forgiveness for the ways you haven't done that, the ways you might have been a stumbling block. Ask for forgiveness from other people if you need to for the ways that you've hurt them. Because God is a forgiving and merciful God. Pray that God might transform you into a person of integrity in every way and faithfulness, that your life might just be a a road, a, a path leading people to Jesus, to the gospel. So that's the first verse. Moving on to verses 4 through 13. Verses 4 through 13, essentially, you know, he lays out in this long sentence, it feels like, this main point. He says, listen, in every situation, no matter what has come my way, I have tried to conduct myself with integrity and faithfulness. You know, through the hardships, through the opposition, through the trials, through good report and bad report, the good times, the bad times, no matter what has come my way, I have tried to conduct myself with integrity and faithfulness before you, O Corinthians. Doesn't matter what's come my way. It's not going to change my vision. It's not going to alter my vision. I'm staying on mission and I am going to point you to Jesus and I'm going to love you and be devoted to you no matter what comes my way. Whether people like me or don't like me, hate me, reject me, hardships, whatever it might be. And he pleads with them. At the end, he says, please open up your hearts to me as I have opened up my heart to you. Don't withhold your affection because I love you, because I'm devoted to you wholeheartedly. He's earnestly desiring that they'd get past whatever disagreements they have and love and trust each other again. 
It's amazing, isn't it? I, I look back and I've been a pastor of the church for 14 years. I don't usually talk about myself so much, but this is, you know, as I reflect on this, because Paul is talking about himself as pastor, as someone who loves the church. And I know at any point God could call me elsewhere, but I'm grateful for 14 years at least. He's had me here as pastor of this church. And as long as I'm going to be here, I know that my wife and I will be devoted to loving and serving this church. I'm grateful for the leadership of this church, you know, your elders and their families and how they've devoted themselves to loving and serving you, to those who lead the community groups and the different ministries, the care and connection. You have, you have some individuals in this church who are devoted to loving and serving this church. And for that, I'm so grateful. You know, I think in particular of my wife as I read these verses, you know, and, and it's, it hasn't been the easiest journey for 14 years trying to, to continue to love and serve, you know, but, but I, I just, I love and honor my wife who gets up off the mat time and time again to continue to pour out herself in love and service for you and for this church. And I, I'm just grateful for her. I'm grateful as I look at the community group leaders that we have. I'm grateful for the love and, and, and just their devotion to you. And I want to encourage you, open up your hearts to each other. You know, open up your hearts and your lives to each other. You have individuals in this church who love and, love and are devoted to you. As I move on to verse 14, let's read the rest of this passage. This is where it transitions. He's poured out his love for them, and now he challenges them. He says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's another name for Satan, by the way. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So here's the thing, you know, when you, when you love and are devoted to someone, it gives you the right to speak into their lives. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's like, I love you so much, but I need to speak this into your life, what I'm seeing here. And once again, the first verse kind of sums up the whole thing. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked. This is not egg yolk for those of you who are younger. This is what a yoke is, Y-O-K-E. A yoke is something that connects two animals, especially when they're plowing, so that they will plow together in a straight line. And he's using this metaphor to tell them, don't enter into a partnership with someone who is trying to pull in a different direction. Do not be unequally yoked, okay? Don't get yoked to the donkey. That's if you can't see the picture there. Do not be unequally yoked. He says there's no agreement between Christ and Satan. There's no agreement between the temple of God and the temple of idols. And so he ends that section by saying, then instead of being yoked to unbelievers, instead of being in a partnership with people who are not pulling in the same direction, purify yourself from everything that contaminates. Perfect holiness out of reverence for God. Be single-minded in your pursuit of God and don't let anyone pull you 
in another direction. In the context of this passage, he's most likely referring to idol worship. You may remember in 1 Corinthians, that was a big part of his letter to them. So they lived in a, in a city where there were all kind of temples set up to false gods. And that in order to be a part of the city, often you had to go and you needed to celebrate meals and feasts in those temples to idols. And he's like, flee from idolatry. Don't get involved in idolatry. Don't participate in that. And we don't have idols, you know, these days. But the point remains, he says, don't enter into a partnership with someone who is going after a different God, who has a different goal in mind, who is pulling you in a direction other than holiness and purity and discipleship to the Lord. He says, align yourself with the wrong person and you can be led astray, like that donkey trying to pull the ox away. As he said in his last letter again, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 to 34, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So can we take some time just to reflect on this this morning, okay? Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't enter into a partnership. Don't bind your heart to someone who's pulling you in a direction that is away from God. Some of you need to hear this in terms of your friendships. This goes for those of you who are older and those of you who are younger. Be careful who you enter into friendships with and the direction that they are pulling you and the influence they have over you. It's one thing to be friendly with someone who doesn't share your goals in life and your mission and your belief and your focus on God. It's one thing to be friendly. It's another thing to knit your heart to them in such a way where they begin to pull you away from God, pull you away from good character, pull you away from the person God has created you to be. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not knit your heart to someone who's pulling you in a different direction. For those of you who are single, this can be particularly important advice when it comes to dating, right? If your supreme treasure is God, if the one you want more than anything else is him to honor him with your life, then don't unite yourself with someone who does not share that outlook or life is going to be a tug of war in many ways. Push and pull towards different destinations and different directions. Now, having said that, some of you, I know, struggle to hear that because you're already in a relationship like that. You may already be married to someone who doesn't share your faith or doesn't share your goal of pursuing God. Paul addressed this as well in his last letter to the Corinthians. He said this, To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstance. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? When he talks about sanctifying your spouse there, I think what he means is that it's your husband or wife because, doesn't contaminate you because they're not a believer. Says instead, you, you know, are creating an atmosphere where God is honored, and that's a good thing. So he says, if you're married to someone who doesn't believe, don't 
trade up, you know, don't divorce them. That's not what God is saying here, not what Paul is saying. He says, who knows, you may save your husband, you may save your wife. So if you find yourself in that kind of unequal partnership now, he says, don't get divorced, love your husband, love your wife, pray for them, but make sure that you have other men or women in your life. If you're a man, have other men. If you're a woman, have other women in your life that you are knit together, you know, who are praying for you, who you can walk and pursue the Lord with. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not enter into partnerships with others who are pulling you in a different direction. And I would encourage you to consider, even just, you know, take stock of your life. You know, do an inventory of your life and the different influences, the different partnerships that you have, and consider how this applies. You know, obviously you probably think of business, the business world, if you're, if you're working. Maybe it applies, maybe not. You know, you may be able to work together and work for companies and partner with people who don't share your faith, you know, and there's no, you're not worried about it. It's not leading you astray from God. But there may be ways in which it does, you know. Maybe there's ways in which, you know, your desire is God above all, even above profit, and you're partnering with someone who's profit above God, right? And their goal is to make money above God. That's more important to them. And there might be a tug of war that pulls you away from God. So it's just important, again, to evaluate the partnerships you have in your life. But think about everything else in your life. Political involvement, right? Don't knit your heart politically in a way that's going to pull you away from God. And that can go for either political party or any political candidate. Don't become so knit in your heart that it pulls you away from putting God first. What about the other inputs in your life, the music you listen to, the shows you watch, the apps, the websites, the tech companies, all of that? There's so many ways in which we might knit our hearts to things that are pulling us in directions opposed to God. Do not give your heart to something that's pulling you away from God. Do not be yoked together. Do not enter into partnerships with anyone who's pulling you away from God. And Paul ends with these words. He says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Purifying yourself means having a singular focus. All I want is God. That is my number one goal, my number one desire, and everything else is going to fall under that. I'm going to evaluate everything by whether or not it helps me to know God more, to honor him, to become more like him. I'm going to evaluate everything based on that. That's what it means to purify yourself. And so am I putting things into my body that will contaminate my body? Am I putting things into my spirit that will contaminate my spirit? Are the inputs, are the resources, are the things that I'm aligned with helping me with that goal or not? If you align yourself with the wrong person, the wrong resources, the wrong groups, then yes, it'll be pulling you astray. Align yourself with people who are pulling towards Christ. Amen? Align yourself with other people who are pulling towards Christ, who are pulling together with you who can help you to live a life of integrity and faithfulness. 
This is why we encourage participation in community groups. We have in the, if you're at home, in the, in the links, in the comment section, there should be a link to our community groups page on our website. If you're at home, you can find that as well. If you're not involved, this is why we're so big on get together with other believers. We have groups that are reading through the Bible this year that are sharing and encouraging people on how to, how to lift that, live that out. And some people don't have time for groups. It's okay as long as you have time for individuals, other men, other women in your life who are aligned with you in motive and goal and can help you move in that direction. If you're young, this is why we have a youth group that meets every Sunday at one o'clock. So that even though you might have all kinds of people in your school who are not necessarily pulling in that direction towards God, you can gather together with other boys and girls and have older men and women who are pulling in that direction. I encourage you, evaluate the partnerships in your life in the light of this passage. Do not enter into partnerships with people who are, and groups who are pulling you in directions opposed to God. The gospel is worth it. This message is more important than anything. And God has called you to this ministry of reconciliation, to be right with God and to plead with others to be right with God. Don't let yourself be pulled off that course. Surround yourself with people who are pulling in that direction. Amen? Amen. Let me close in prayer. Then we're going to turn to God's table. Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray, God, that you would help us to surround ourselves with people who are whose hearts are focused on you, who are pure in heart, who desire you, Lord. If we are in partnerships that are pulling us away, we pray for the courage to break those partnerships, Lord. That we might know you more, that we might walk in holiness. We thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.